God, I'm grateful to come and to be in the presence of your people and to be with your people. And God, you continue uh, to use this small letter uh, of James to speak directly to my heart and soul. You've done this in so many ways in the last few weeks and continue even today. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to use this letter, your holy word in the life of this church to bring us, as your word says, to a place of faith that is steadfast and that lacks nothing. And that our faith would be firm because of these trials and the testing of our faith. And God, I pray that though we may not be there in this moment, but I pray in the moments to come, the days, the months, and the years ahead, that we would be able to consider it all joy, this trial that you are allowing us to go through, and the trials that you allow us to go through. And so this morning, God, I pray as we come back to your word that you gave to us, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's inspired by you. It's a gift to us, your people, that you would use it in our lives, in our hearts to draw us closer to you and closer to one another, that we would love you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And we love each other the same way. So lead us, guide us, and be with us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said amen this morning. Blake, I have a huge favor. On my desk is a bottle of water. If I don't have that, I probably won't get five more sentences in. Can you grab that for me, please, my friend? Um, get the young buck to do it for me. So here we are back in the uh, letter of James. We're starting the second chapter. In this chapter, James is now going to talk to us about this idea of partiality. And how the sin of partiality and what it does and what it can do in the life of the church. Now it's easy for us to come to this few verses and look and say to ourselves, we have no sin of partiality. Now thanks. Uh, what I want you to do is ask yourself this question. I want you to ask that God through his word would show and reveal, is there any area of your life that you have partiality? I want to read a quick story about Gandhi. Gandhi was a very spiritual man. I will not say he was a godly man, but he was a very spiritual man. He was a very wise man. He had a desire to bring peace to India. If you know about Gandhi, Gandhi's whole deal was to bring uh, freedom to the people of India from uh, the British Empire. He did that in a very peaceful way. He led a revolution in peace. And yet, this is what Gandhi had to say about Christianity. It says this is the story. It says, while Gandhi was practicing Hindu, that was his religion, a religion of many gods, to find inner peace. It says this, that Christianity intrigued him. There was something about the Christian life that intrigued him. He had many friends that were believers. So it wasn't something that was from afar, it was something that was close to him. And one of his Christian friends encouraged him to read the Gospels. And in reading the Gospels, 
Gandhi was impressed by Jesus whom Christians worshipped and followed. He wanted to know more about this Jesus that Christians referred to as Christ the Messiah. It says one Sunday morning, Gandhi decided that he would visit one of the Christian churches in Calcutta. Now, if you know anything about India, India is broken up into three different castes, the, the, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. And so this is what happens to Gandhi when he approaches this church in Calcutta. Upon seeking entrance to this Christian church, the Christian sanctuary, he was stopped at the door by an usher. The usher told Gandhi, now think of this, Gandhi, he told Gandhi he was not welcome, nor would he be, be permitted to attend this particular church as it was for the high caste Indians and whites only. He was neither high caste nor was he white. Because of the rejection, Mahat Gandhi turned his back on Christianity. Now, could you imagine what would have happened that day if they would have let Gandhi into church? We'll never know. But Gandhi goes on to say this act, Gandhi rejected the Christian faith. Never again did he consider claims of Christ. He was turned off by the sin of segregation or partiality. That was practiced by the Christian church. It was due to this experience that Gandhi would later declare these words. I'd be a Christian today if it were not for Christians themselves. And that's where James... A thousand years before that, as speaking to the church. And I want to ask this question to us this morning. Is there any part in our hearts? Uh, again, a few weeks ago, I, I said, oftentimes, it's not just our outward actions that matter. It's also our inward hearts. And that's what James is going to continue to get at because he's building off the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, over and over again, it says this. It says, you've heard it said this, but I'm going to tell you this. And what Jesus is saying there, he's saying your outward actions isn't what matters. It's where your heart is at. And so this morning, do we have any partiality in our hearts? Is there anything in us that we would look down or inwardly turn away if someone walked into our building this morning? And so I want to look at three things this morning. I want us to be sure that it would never be said of what Gandhi said of that church that day. If it weren't for the Christians, I'd be a Christian. Three things I want to look at. Partiality goes against the character of God. Partiality goes against the sovereignty or the power or the rule of God. And lastly, partiality goes against God's economy. So let's look first this morning at partiality. The sin of partiality goes against the character of God. James says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in who? 
Our, the, our example is who, is what James is saying. Our faith is held. Our, our example of our faith is who? He says this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Or in the Greek, it says this, the God of all glory. And so if we look at our faith is in the God of all glory, we can go throughout Scripture, and this is one of the attributes of God. Like there's a million attributes of God or a million characteristics of God, or who God's character is. We would say God is what? Love. God is kind. God is all-knowing. God is all-present. God is, and on and on we go. One of the characteristics of God that often gets overlooked is, is, is God's unpartiality. When you look at the Scripture, God does not see the way that we see. God's eyes see no color. He sees no pocketbooks. God can see into the heart. There is no partiality with God. So the first thing that we would have to see and agree with this, does my life reflect the character of God? If I'm a Christian, the word Christian means to be a little Christ. If I'm to be a little Christ, then my life ought to have no what? partiality. If I'm to be loving like God, if I'm to be kind like God, if I'm to be wise, if I'm to be generous, if I'm to be all the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, then we must take into account, do I have partiality? This is where we would say, if we're honest, this is where we must look at our lives and say, is there any racism in our hearts? what he's going to get at in this text. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jews. Who did Jews historically hate? Gentiles. And so he's getting to the heart of the church to say, he's not saying to them, be careful that this happens. He's addressing them saying, this is happening in your church. He's not saying this might be happening. This could happen, be watchful that it doesn't happen. He's saying, no, I see it. James is saying, let me address what I see. There is partiality happening in the church and you as Jewish believers ought to be like God and show no partiality. So is that true for us, House Chapel? Again, not in our outward actions, but in our hearts is there partiality. Do we display to the lost world the characteristic of God's impartiality? The next one has two parts. It's in verses 2 through 5. The partiality goes against God's sovereignty or God's power and control. Verses 2 through 5. Let me read that for us this morning. For if a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly a, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves? Becoming, here's the key word, judges with evil thoughts. 
listen, my brothers. Again, look who he's talking to, the church. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those whom he loves? Two things we see in this few verses. Partiality goes against God's sovereignty because it places man in authority. Right? He says, have you not become the judge? Remember who is the judge. It's not you or I. It's God and God alone. And so when we begin to be partial and we begin to make internal uh, distinctions about people's externals, we become judge over them. Again, if we're honest, we're all guilty of that. Even this week, I'm telling you, this little letter has been so convicting. Again, it looks this way. It looks when I'm driving down the road and I see somebody or I hear somebody, I may not outwardly do or say anything, but it's those little thoughts that happen in my brain. Those judgments in my brain. When a newscaster comes on or a news article comes on, it's those first thoughts of my prejudgment of who the person may or may not be. Again, thank God that my thoughts do not blare atop of my head. You, you know, like those cartoon bubbles? Like, could you imagine if we lived in a world where all of our inward thoughts became outward displays? How much judgment would be revealed in our heart? And that is what James is getting at. He's saying, and he's saying to you, he's saying to me, he's saying to the church, let us not be the judge. Let us allow God to be the judge over people. That's the first place. It, partiality places us in authority. But then he goes on to say this in verse 5. Partiality not only places us in authority, but then because we're placed in authority, then we begin to make decisions based on our own authority. And that is super dangerous. He says it in, verses, in verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Listen to James's tender heart towards the Christian. His plea towards them. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is how Paul would say it. Paul says it this way in the very first chapter of his epistle to the Corinthians. He says this in verse 26. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. 
Paul is reminding the Jewish reader the way that Peter is reminding the Jewish reader of where they come from. He said, not many of you are wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were able of noble birth. Circle this word in your Bible. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low to despise the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now let us be reminded of where we come from. Now here in America, we may be able to say we're wise, we may be able to say we're powerful, we may be able to even say we, in some way, according to the world, we were born with a noble birth. If you're an American, you have a noble birth. But if you really did an inward examination of your own heart, none of us can say we are wise before God. None of us can say that we're powerful before God. None of us ought to be able to say that we're really of noble birth. And yet, God in His wisdom and God in His sovereignty God and His ultimate authority does all the decision making and God chose you and chose me to bring foolishness to the world. Like me to stand in this pulpit to preach God's Word, if you look back at my life as a middle school, high school, and early college student, that, that, that ought, I ought not to be here. Like no one would have been like, man, I'm coming and someone, my, my senior superlative would have been, class, uh, a class pastor. Like, that's going to be our guy. Like, they would have been like, there's no way that he'll ever walk with Jesus. Based on my lifestyle, based on the things I was doing, the, 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 the people I was dating, the, the things I was drinking, the things I was putting into my body, there was nothing in my life that would say, I will ever be able to preach from God's holy word. But in one moment, in the spring of of 1996, God chose me from the foolishness of the world and began to fool the people of the world because of what he did in me. And that's true of everyone's story in here. You may not have a wicked testimony like I did. You may have walked with Jesus. Like I pray that Cedar and Tennyson, my kids, never have the testimony I have. I pray they have a boring testimony. But again, if any of us, if you see Cedar today, no one's going to be like, yeah, that dude's going to be a pastor. That dude's a wild man. But my prayer is that God would use him in such a powerful way to impact the world. And so we have to go back to God's Ways are not our ways. But the moment we put ourselves in God's position, with God's authority, we will choose what God would never choose. Because God and the way God works is totally different than the way we work. And thank God He chose you and I. Why? Because He's not partial. Because if he was partial, I would never have been chosen. I was too sinful. I was too far out. But yet God, in his goodness, 
chose me. Why? Again, it comes back here. Consider what you're calling. You're choosing what God did. He did it. Why? But God chose what was foolish in the world. That's me. That's you. To what? To shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing that are. So that no, why? Why did God do that? He said, so that no human being can boast. I can't boast in my salvation, nor can you. But who can we boast in this morning? The one that chose us in spite of us. So we may never know that person that walks in the door, but if our first instinct is to judge them, we may have the Gandhis of the world turn and walk out of here. Do you, I just, when I read that story this week, I could not comprehend. Could you imagine if Gandhi had come to know Christ Jesus in that worship service? He already did powerful things in the world. Like he's well known throughout the world for what he did. And he did it all in the name of being a Hindu. But could you imagine if all that he did was stamped with Christ and Christ's likeness? But his words ought to ring loud in our ears. I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christian. So partiality goes against the character of God. Partiality goes against God's sovereignty. And lastly, it goes against God's economy, which I just touched on. God's economy, as we see in 1 Corinthians, and we see back here in James, and we read in verse 6 and 7 is this. It says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who opposed you? Are they not the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of which you were called? Two things that we see. It goes against God's economy because they are God's most hated enemies. God's enemies do what? Throughout God's word. God's enemies always oppress the poor. Throughout the beginning of God's word, through the end, we see the enemies of God oppressing God's people. Now, I'm not saying rich people are enemies of God. That is not what I mean. That's not what James is saying here. He, he, he says this, you can be poor, but yet be rich in the kingdom. And you can be rich and yet poor in the kingdom. He's not talking simply about money. He's talking about our spiritual condition. And what he's saying to us is this. May we never use our strength to oppress poor people. That is what God's enemies do. May we use our strength to what? Liberate poor people. Are we using the strength that God has given to us in our salvation to bring liberty to those who are captive? 
Are, are we exhausting all of our... And when I say the poor, oppressed people, I, I don't simply just mean monetarily. But I mean spiritually. There's not much poorer you can get than be spiritually bankrupt. Is that not true? And yet are we going to use all of our resources that God has given to us to bring liberty to those who truly are oppressed? Or will we be a church that would use all of our resources for ourselves? All of our resources ought to go out of here to bring hope to the hopeless. To, to bring life to the lifeless. And to bring financial and spiritual money to those who are bankrupt. That is what James is talking about here. May we not use our power to oppress poor people. And then he says this. The way that you look at people, you often give better credentials to those who are rich. But this is what they do to you. They oppress you. And worse off, they blaspheme the name of God. Does Jesus not say that himself in the Gospel of Matthew? He says that this. He says it's easier for what? A camel to go through the eye of a needle than for what? A rich man to come into the kingdom. What he means by that is because what do rich people not need? They don't need anything. And so because they don't need anything, they think they're God. If they think they're God, then who are they going to blaspheme? God. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to curse God necessarily. It will just simply mean they will not bring their neediness to the God because they don't believe they're in need, and therefore they blaspheme who God is. And I wonder, church, for us this morning, I don't think we'd ever blaspheme the name of God. I don't think any of us in this building would curse God out loud. But do our actions curse God? Because we live in a posture of not really needing God. And that is what James is talking about here. Wait, may we not be the rich man that oppresses the poor and blasphemes, blasphemes the name of God. May we be the ones. He's going to later go on and say it. In the next few verses that we'll cover next week. May we live a life. That would what? Love our neighbors as ourselves. The only way to do that is to live sacrificially. And so for us this morning, as a way of taking a character test, does your life, does my life, does the life of this church go against God's character? Are we partial to people. Next, does your life, does my life, does the life of this church go against God's sovereignty? Do we place our place in authority and do we place ourselves in making a decision who ought to get to heaven and who ought not to get to heaven? And lastly, does your life and does my life and does the life of this church go against God's economy? Let me read one last passage in closing. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25.
Jesus says, you want to know how not to show partiality? He says this in these few verses. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you were blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Now catch these following verses. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he looked to those on his left, and he said to them, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then you answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Which one of these are you? Which one of these am I? Which one of these are we? Let me pray for us this morning.